Just because I cannot see it doesn't mean I can't believe the greatest movie of all time. Today on the show, The Nightmare Before Christmas. The greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie. Come on and hear me now. Greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie podcast is the greatest movie Welcome, everyone, to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the show in which I, your co-host, the Big Red Machine, Rick Barrasso. And I, your co-host, the Big Nightmare Boski, Rick. And we are joined this week, a returning guest, Katie Swinbeck, to discuss one movie here, The Nightmare Before Christmas, in our quest to watch every single movie ever made. And we're going to help figure out which is the greatest of them all. How are you doing, Katie? How is everyone today? I'm very good. Thank you. I'm excited Ah. to be here. This is one of my favorites. Yes, that's why I wanted you on this episode, because I know you're a huge fan of this one, as are a lot of people. And we'll find out how we all feel about this. Derek, what's going on with you? Anything new? Uh, Just, you know, podcasting, writing music, same old thing for uh, for Rec over here. Excellent. Excellent uh, news from the big deck, Boski as always. So uh, we're discovering all sorts of new holidays with the Nightmare Before Christmas today, of course, but let's take care of some business first. Last week, we talked about Die Hard, and that was a great episode. We came to the conclusion that I think Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah. 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 I think think it is. I think it is. I've changed my mind. I was swayed by our discussion last week. (laughs) I think you convinced yourself. I convinced myself. (laughs) I, I talked it out with myself on the air. So check that episode out to hear me uh, convince myself of something uh, or check out any of our episodes, any of our live. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple podcasts, whatever app you use, subscribe, review. If you can, it's extremely helpful for the show. And if you enjoyed that, or if you have anything else you want us to cover, let us know on social media. We are the greatest movie of all time podcast on Facebook we're at Great Movie Cast on Twitter. We're at Rick and Rec on Instagram. And you can always shoot us an email at greatestmoviepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. And as our old friend, our old holiday guy, Bruce Wayne, would say, tell your friends about us. But now... Hey, Batman, Batman was, in a, was in a Christmas movie. Batman Returns was a Christmas movie. Batman Returns may be a Christmas movie. It's, it's possible. But now, what's this? It's the Nightmare Before Christmas. The Nightmare Before Christmas is a 1993 stop motion movie. It's directed by Henry Selleck, not Tim Burton, despite the fact that it's titled Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, which we will discuss, I'm sure. Uh, It stars Chris Sarandon as Jack's speaking voice, Danny Elfman as a singing voice, Catherine O'Hara as Sally, and Ken Page as Oogie Boogie. It made, with re-releases, because it was not a huge hit upon first release, $91.5 million and $24 million budget. It's got an 8.0 on IMDb, a 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 82% on Metacritic. Ebert, three and a half out of four stars. Quote, working with gifted artists and designers, 
Burton has made a world here that is as completely new as the world we saw for the first time in such films as Metropolis, The Cabin of Dr. Caligari, and Star Wars. So huge praise from Ebert, despite the fact that he doesn't know who directed the movie. Uh, <laughs> Janet Maslin, New York Times, says The Nightmare Before Christmas is a major step forward for both stop motion animation, which is stunningly well used, and for Mr. Burton himself. He now moves from the level of extremely talented eccentric to that of Disney style household world. Household word. Again, does not realize he did not direct the movie. Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly for a negative one says, I am not sure I've ever seen a fantasy film that's at once so visually amazing and so emotionally dead. So let's talk about when we first saw this. Katie, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, I was probably middle school age and um, it had just come out and I think we rented it from Blockbuster and I saw it through there and I fell in love and I just, it's been like a comfort food to me, my or a comfort movie, like my whole adolescence growing up. Whenever I don't feel good, that's the movie I put on. First movie, first pick. Excellent. Derek, do you remember when you first saw it, the circumstances in which you came across it? So I never actually watched it all the way through until the other day. Oh, okay. And it's not, it's not because I was avoiding it. It's just because it just never really came across to me. Like, okay, time to put this movie on. It always was there. And I always was like, oh yeah, that's very cool. But I never like sat through the whole thing. And it's not, you know, again, I, I, I like the animation a lot. So I'm, I'm not really sure why I never came across sooner, but um, I always saw like bits and pieces of it. And I knew some of the songs. But yeah, as a couple of days ago, I, I sat through the whole, you know, the whole movie and from beginning to end. And I, it was funny when I turned it on, I was like, this is a really short movie. I didn't realize how short it was yeah. going to be. But yeah, that was my first full time kind of kind of strange to say that. But uh, yeah, that was my first. Yeah. So this it's it's a movie that I did not see when it came out. I didn't see it in theaters, despite the fact being six or five or six when it came out I would have been like the perfect age to see it as like a weird child and I think that goes to I think Disney didn't quite know what the fuck to do with this they were like hey yeah Tim Burton he made the Batman movies like it would be great think about Tim Burton he actually started as a Disney animator like in the mid, like early to mid eighties, he was, he was a Disney animator and people at Disney, they saw his style and they were like, you got something, but I don't know what to do with it. And he's like, well, you know, I have this idea for like Halloween and Christmas and like Halloween people, do, Halloween creatures doing Christmas. And they were like, yeah, sure. Whatever kid. But because he pitched that Disney owned it own the idea so that's why this is a disney movie despite the fact that he would not make another disney movie until i think or be involved with another disney movie until i believe the alice in wonderland live action i don't know what it is but tim burton and disney they just don't go together in my they brain they don't they don't he so the, the the basic idea so you gotta also understand like put yourself in the like where disney is at this point because this comes out in 93 it's booming. And 91 is Beauty and the Beast. 92 is Aladdin. And 94 is The Lion King. Jeez. Right? So we're 
thick of the Disney Renaissance, but they don't have anything for 93, right? They don't have anything lined up for 93. So they're looking at like, oh, Tim Burton, like, do we have anything? He worked for us. Do we have anything with him? Let's see if we can make this weird fucking stop motion thing that he, he had the idea for. At the time, he couldn't because he was directing what Derek brought up, Batman Returns. Yep. So that's why Henry Selleck directs it. Now, Disney gets this back and it's so weird compared to what they're doing. Like, even going back like four years ago. So you get Little Mermaid, Rescuers Down Under, so nobody really talks about it. And then you get Beauty and the Beast, you get Aladdin, and then you get Lion King. This is stuck in the middle. They had no idea how to advertise it. So it just flew kind of under the radar at first and had to be discovered. So this brings it to, I didn't even know what it was until like two or three years later when I had a cousin like, do you want to watch The Nightmare Before Christmas? And I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that would make a great uh, Jeopardy question. Who directed Nightmare Before Christmas? People would be like, oh, of course, Tim Burton, wrong. Yeah. And, and Henry Selleck is not, like, he's a, he's a name in, you know, in animation. You know, he's directed other big animated films. He directed, he would go on to direct Coraline, well, we'll go over it. We'll go over that later. But Henry Selleck is not a small name in the world, world of animation. But it, they don't know how to market it. So that's also why they just slapped Tim Burton's name on it, even though he didn't direct the movie. Right. Because they were, who's the audience for this? Yeah. So Henry Selleck, he directs James and the Giant Peach a couple years later. Yep. Uh, he does Monkey Bone, 2001. He does Coraline in 2009. He's getting work. He's a big name director, but everyone thinks this is a Tim Burton movie. Because so, but, but because Tim like Burton a, a marketing thing. Yeah, it was Tim Burton. He was a household name at that point. Yes. And uh, Tim so that, Burton that, did have yeah. the original idea. It was basically his creation, so, so to speak. Yes and no. So Tim Burton created Jack. He created Zero. And he created the version of Santa you see in this. Everything else, Sally, Oogie Boogie, uh, Lock, Shock, and Barrel are not his creation. But isn't it his story, so to speak? Kind, the like bare bones of the story are him. Okay. Like him, him just like, again, he pitched the idea, what if Halloween doing Christmas? Right. And what if there was like, there's a poem that he wrote. And right, right. And it's, like, it's, it's, based, it's just like, yeah, Jack, and you have the dog with the ghost dog with the red nose, and you have like Santa. But everything else, the finer details of the story, more Selleck. Yeah, okay. So let's talk, now that we've talked about sort of the background of how this movie was made, let's talk about what actually happens in it. So Derek, have you chosen a song to time me out? Yes, I have. And I'm going to just shoot straight from the heart. And I'm going with, what is this? Mm -hmm. If that's, yeah. That, that's that that's the song you know that's the one yeah. that i remembered as a kid currently so. on a peloton commercial oh with, wow. with scrooge in it for some reason it's very Man, confusing. i don't miss cable okay um all right are you ready i am ready three two one go Jack Skellington, the pumpkin king of Halloween Town, is bored with his lot in life. He stumbles upon Christmas Town and brings some of the ideas he finds there back home, deciding eventually to kidnap Santa and run the holiday himself this year. The only objections coming from St. Nick himself and Sally, a Frankenstein's monster type with a schoolgirl crush on Jack. While Jack is off making a mess of Christmas, Santa is double kidnapped by Oogie Boogie, a creature made of bugs with bad intention. 
Uh, in the end, Jack realizes that a Halloween creature can't make a Christmas save Santa and begins to appreciate Sally. 30 seconds on the dot. Perfect. Got it. So that's what happens in it. Let's talk about our three favorite scenes. So Katie, what do you have? What's your number three favorite scene? My number three favorite scene is when Jack is explaining to the town what Christmas is when he first gets back after they're searching for him. And then he shows up and he tries to explain like he they hang the sock on the wall. Yeah. And they say, what's in it? Is it a foot? What's in it? What's in the box? Yeah. That part is just a lot of fun. It's yeah, that's that's a great scene because it's just the futility of Jack trying to explain something that's like trying to explain math to a fish like it's they're just not going to understand it yeah he's he's so he's trying so hard and he's so getting so frustrated and then it kind of segues into the scene where he starts doing like science experiments to try and figure out how to explain christmas to these people yeah absolutely derek what's your three my number three scene is actually sally's song Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a, a couple different reasons for that. And I'm a big Catherine O'Hara fan. I have been since I was little, I loved seeing her in home alone. She's always one of my favorite characters. She's just kind of crazy. Um, and, uh, I think she was in that, um, TV show back in the day too, was what second city or something like that. Yeah. It was like the SNL's a counterpart, always really funny. And I remember, SCTV, the, yeah, yeah. yeah TV. There was a part, a moment where I, I discovered that she was the voice of, of Sally in this. And I like, didn't believe it. And I was like, I, I, she, it sounds nothing like her nowadays when I listen to it, I'm like, okay, now that I'm listening, I can hear Catherine O'Hara there. But while she's singing, I was like, holy crap. I love discovering actors that I love and how they have other talents as sing- like singing. I didn't know Catherine O'Hara had pipes like that. And I was really impressed. And I was wondering, and I haven't found this out yet, but I was wondering if they like made the, her voice, like they, they, they put the pitch of her voice a little bit higher because I was like, wow, she can sing really, really high. And then I realized that like Greg Proops and Paul Rubens do voices in the movie too. And their voices sound way higher than what they usually are. So I was wondering if they did that on purpose. Maybe Catherine O'Hara's voice was just like, the pitch was higher. Um, I think they do. Cause like a lot, a lot of the voices like, it's like people artificially, I don't think it's like machinery or anything. Right. Right. I think it's just people purposely singing at a higher register. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing my YouTube, when I was doing research for this, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos and watching the three of them do it live. It was like Catherine O'Hara and Paul Rubens and Danny Elfman doing it live is incredible. And her voice, I mean, she can pitch pretty high because she did kidnap Mr. Santa Claus and it, she could get a, a pretty high register. Wow. Yeah, she's she's super talented. And I think her song was kind of refreshing. I was waiting for when Sally was going to sing because I'm like, wow, you know, Jack sings all the songs. And I'm not putting the songs down because the songs are really, really great. But a lot of them kind of mesh into each other a little bit as far as the tone. So her song was refreshing. And I kind of like that scene. So that's that's my my, uh, bronze. Uh, We we will we will talk about Danny Elfman, how he was definitely we'll talk about how he was visualizing the music in this and how it sort of ended up that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my number three is uh, this is Halloween. Uh, it's the opening scene of the movie and it's so economically establishes so much that there's, there's like so much to pay attention to. Like it, it establishes who Jack is. He's the pumpkin King. He's fucking awesome. Everyone loves him. It establishes that Sally has a crush on him. 
it establishes Oogie Boogie kind of in the background, like as a shadow cast over the story, literally shadow cast on the moon. And it just introduces this super cool world with all these background characters, the mayor with the fucking, you know, played by Otho from Beetlejuice, I believe. Is that, is that, I think, which is, which is funny that like, even though Tim Burton didn't direct it, they were like, let's get some Burton people in it. Right. Between, <laughs> yeah. Between him and, and, and Catherine O'Hara. But yep. it introduces all these, this, this incredible world and it's just so much fun and it's, it's super catchy as well. Yeah. So let's go to number two, Katie. What is your number two favorite scene? Uh, my, num- my number two is the scene with Lock, Shock and Barrel when they do kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus. I think that is, it's so fun and it's such a catchy tune. And I've listened to a lot of covers from other musicians that have done it and just their takes and spins on it. It's such a versatile song. Like the song has so much range. It can really, you can do what you want with it. Like Jonathan Davis from Korn does the entire song by himself and he really nailed it. It was, it's just, it's such a fun song. There is and that a, also is, oh, go ahead. And it also establishes, again, um, Oogie Boogie. It brings him into it and explains who Oogie Boogie really is because he's, they say, we're his henchmen. He's the villain of the story. Yeah. And they, they actually do, like, there's tons of versions every year because they do a concert at the Hollywood Bowl each year where it's just yeah. like they get different actors and singers and stuff just to do like a concert of the, the songs in this movie. Yeah, Billie Eilish did it this year. I did, yeah, she did Sally's song. She sounded, she's got the perfect voice for it. She really does. And she actually was my pick for Sally when I recasted. But then when I watched it, I was like, I can't go with her now because she already did it. So I picked someone else. All right, Derek, what do you have for two? So my number two scene is the... um, the the song you know what is this where, where jack is, is discovering christmas and i think it resonated with me because i was like i wonder what it is like if like an adult discovers christmas for the first time as an adult you're like what what does none of this really make sense what do all these little details mean and i think it was like when i think of the movie as a kid because again i saw a lot of the popular scenes i didn't watch it all the way through but that was a scene that stuck in my head was that i think it was i think i may have recorded something off of TV and that was a commercial. It was like that song. So it was stuck in my head. And I guess I'll, I'll jump into my little miscellaneous now. Anyway, my mom for Christmas one year bought me like every single action figure from the night before Christmas. I had everybody and I had never really seen it, but I loved like having them. Like I had everybody and like the, the mayor, I could like twist his face back and forth. It was so cool. Um, Jack was like really like Jack Skellington was like, almost like a stretch Armstrong type action figure. Cause he was so like wiry and bony and everything, but I had, um, I had everybody and it was the coolest thing, but that was the song that stuck in my head. Every time I'd have them on my bed, I would just scream to the top of my lungs. I'd be like, what is this? And my mom would be like, oh, he's playing with those action figures. Um, but that's a song that kind of like gets me going like, Ooh, I remember this movie. So that kind of nostalgic thing. So that's my silver. Yeah. I mean, the, the cool thing, I mean, with the, with the toys and stuff like that, even if you haven't seen the movie, um, or you're not aware of like the specific details of the story. And this goes to like, I think anything to do with Tim Burton, because I think it, this does definitely have his stamp on it. I think he is involved with how the movie looks. Uh, he is, it's kind of a popular theory that like Tim Burton is kind of the best introduction to understanding movies for like kids. 
because I think you first just see a movie and go, oh, like, here's just a thing that's being done to me. And Tim Burton, you can look at and go like, his movies look different, like very obviously so. Mm -hmm. So the the toys I think you can recognize is like, if you just looked at this, you'd probably be like, this is a Tim Burton character, you know? I also think that, and, and again, I'm just shooting from the side here. I don't know how truthful this is, but I feel like this was a lot of like introduction to a lot of like gothic kids. Yes. Because like in middle school, you don't know who you are. You're trying to figure out like what your identity is. And I went through a goth phase for sure. And I, uh, you know, I remember seeing this movie and be like, oh, it's so cool. And it's like dark, like me. And that's where I think it may have blossomed for a lot of kids. Like, this is cool. This is kind of the way I want to dress you yeah. know, something like that. So I think Tim Burton, not only did he teach kids a lot, but those middle school kids were like, okay, yeah. now, you know. Because it's it's animated. It's two things that like, when you get to a certain age or like, if you're a kid, especially like a boy where you, you, you can be like, otherwise you'd be like, ew, like get this away from me. It's like an animated movie that kids like after they're like, oh, cartoons are for kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like a romance where boys can still like it. And it's still cool. Yeah. And, and, and every gothic girl in middle school was like, oh, my God, I got to find my Jack Skellington. Yeah. Oh, but, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It definitely gave me a platform to kind of like figure out that how I was feeling was OK, because I was into a lot more of like darker music and metal music and um, more more punk rock, things like that. And listening and watching this movie was like I could identify with that because there wasn't a lot, a whole lot out there that you know at that age you just it doesn't make sense to you and you're trying to figure it all out and this movie definitely gave me a platform to be able to to identify with i mean how many people out there have fucking like jack and sally tattoos when, oh my god yeah when if you if you look at the if you look at the actual text of the movie it's like it's basically got the emotional depth of fucking hey arnold like it's just sally is like i really like this guy jack completely ignores her Mm-hmm. until the very end of the movie and it's actually like oh okay yeah like, yeah that, it's and it's again it's a fucking 75 minute movie or whatever so it's like not you know not much they could jam in and it's, the reason it's so short is because it's so intensive to make this movie right like it was you know before this claymation was like fucking i don't know gumby and like <laughs> rudolph like yeah just, this was like a huge technological step forward Oh yeah, think about where it came with claymation yeah. back in like the '60s with like, yeah. uh, you know, what, what was the movie I'm thinking of? Uh, Clash of the Titans. Like that was yeah. like really weird, but yeah, you're right. They, they they steps and bounds. Yeah. So my number two scene is the first scene we've mentioned that is not a musical number, and it is the montage in which Jack completely fucks up Christmas, and like all these kids get like snakes and like decapitated heads yeah like shrunken heads and like just the worst possible thing and it's just like oh he like jack just does not understand what this holiday is like he's he thinks he does and you get kind of like you tease it beforehand there's a song where it's like no 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 fresher roadkill and you're like oh (laughs) oh this is not gonna end well and like it's intercut with the news like the and it's very it's, it's, it's very much like our world. Like it's, it's stylized and entirely animation, but it's not like crazy, like the, everything else in the movie, but it's just like a newscaster be like, Santa is missing. There's a, and then like the, the copying, like, yeah, I know, I know a skeleton. I, we, we got it. We get this figured out. But I, I just, I laugh every time. And it's like, that sticks with me that, that montage with all those toys. 
and like that sticks with me a lot. The first time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's the movie where the kids get the weird toys. That's weirdly, that's what stuck with me. But <laughs> let's go to our number one scenes. Katie, what's your number one scene? Uh, my number one scene was uh, the what's what's this song when he's in Christmas Town. I found it to be uh, really like exciting and fun and it amps the movie up and it increases that it like raises the energy level and you start getting excited because he's so excited. Yes. So I'll jump in because that is my number one scene as well. And it's because of how tech, like not only is the character getting excited and we're getting excited for him, the absolute technical mastery of getting a fucking piece of clay to emote and show wonder and joy and just bring energy to the movie is incredible. So it's, yeah, that's, and to me, and the song is just super catchy. Like it's, you know, I'll, I'll be whistling that for the next two weeks, you know, until Christmas. <laughs> so Derek, you mentioned this one already. What is your number one scene? So my number one scene is a tie. Okay. And it's actually the Oogie Boogie song and the fight at the end with him because I, I like the style. I, I, it was just so stylized. Like I love the slot machines with the guns and the dice. It was like, Ooh, this is really cool. Like I didn't expect it. Um, and I, I kind of got like, I guess Ursula vibes a little bit. Yeah. Like the, the, you know what I mean? Like the way he's, he's so sassy it's, and I was like, Ooh, yeah. you know what I mean? And I was getting that a lot. Um, I like when they do that with villains, when the villains are like, they're not just straight up evil, like scar from the Lion King is like, I'm evil. I'm a dick. Yes. Oogie Boogie is like, well, I'm also fun. And I'm like dancing around and <laughs> doing my in the thing. Same, at the same time, he's like, why are you doing this? Like, because I can. Yeah, yeah. Fuck and you, this, Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I and I, I think that like I got like Ursula vibes. And then later on, you see movies like, um, I think it's like Mo Moana. Yeah. Uh, J Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concourse plays like the crab. Yeah. And he, you know what I mean? He, he, and he has super like tim curry vibes and he's like i like when villains are colorful like that and i really didn't expect that from him and then the reveal when he's all bugs i was like what um that's so cool so i liked the song yeah. and the fight back and forth i thought that both scenes were like i didn't really expect this to happen i didn't know it was like another element of the story and the creativeness that made me like whoa this is a cool movie D does so. santa purposely commit murder at the end of this oh when he kills the bug he, yeah he kills the bug does santa commit homicide is that that was like that was like Santa being like, "Hey, I'm here. I'm yeah. a badass." <laughs> how many people? How many creatures has Santa killed in this universe? He's, he's, <laughs> he's a menace. Yeah. No trial. Certainly. No trial for Oogie Boogie. Right. So let's go to our uh, our least favorite parts of the movie. Katie, did you have anything? Um my my least favorite thing about the movie is that it's too short it's not long enough and i think that it should have had more character development as far as the scene goes i i don't really have a scene that i didn't like in it yeah no i i, I agree with that and and i think you know i tend to forgive that because the amount of time that it took for this movie the amount of effort it make took to make this movie like there's a reason they didn't do it if they made it today right. it would probably be another half an hour and have more like more Oogie Boogie, more Sally and Jack, you know, talking. And like, it was ahead of its time to the point where like, it was ahead of the technology almost. Derek, what, uh, what did you have? So I have two things. The first one is, uh, so the scientist character, the evil scientist, um, which we'll, we'll actually do another movie with him next week. He plays the uncle in Christmas vacation. Okay. And uh, he 
you know, I, I was watching the movie and I expected him to be the villain at the end somehow. And I thought that's the direction it was going to go in. And he just, his character just kind of just like fizzles away. So I was a little bit confused by that because I felt like it was a little bit of a buildup to him being like, I can't take this anymore. She poisons me. And then nothing happens. And then I read that the director, Henry Selleck actually wanted that to happen. He said that he wanted this mad scientist to be like oogie boogie in disguise or whatever. And he'd be the villain. And Tim Burton found out about it. And apparently he kicked a door. He kicked a hole in a door because he was mad that Selleck wanted to go that direction. So they ended up not going that direction. I'm not saying that I wanted it, but I just expected it. And then it just didn't happen. So that was just a little thing that I noticed that I was like, huh, I wonder if they were going to go there. And then they didn't like elements of an original screenplay. I'm not too sure. And the only other thing that I have an issue with, and again, I want to just reiterate, it's not really an issue, but I would have liked to have seen Jack Skellington one actor, one singer, that's it. Chris Sarandon, uh, Danny Elfman, kind of like they do it together. And, you know, they're, they're a very, very um, uh, talented actors who can sing and perform and act and do voice acting very, very well. Yet they decided to do that. They combined the, the two of them. And Elfman already has enough on his plate, which he's writing all the songs. Chris Sarandon's voice was excellent for it. But, you know, I just think that it's, it's kind of bothersome to me that they share the role. So my, here's my issue sort of with the with the movie is so what what is the lesson that jack learns at the end of the movie because you could very easily be like he learns to stay in his lane and not try new things because he'll just fail you know like I, i think that he had a need that he couldn't figure out how to focus and when he focused it he focused it on the wrong activity because what he, he should have been looking at Sally this whole time, but there's no backstory to Sally. We don't know how long she's existed for. So he didn't really notice her yet because once he noticed her, it was like the light dawned and his eyes opened and he said, oh, I want to be with her. I love her. But it was all, he had all of this need in, in his body, like his need that he couldn't direct towards how to meet that, how to meet it. Do you know what I mean? I- so, so it's, it's like, he has this energy. He's like, I'm missing something in my life. Yeah. And really what I'm missing is someone to share it with, but I'm just directing this energy towards like, I need new things. Because when they show all the characters in the town, the, the characters that you actually get to see, it's like a haggard old witch or like a couple of little kids that are trick or treaters, but there's never anybody that's like his in his lane, so to speak. Yeah. Nobody has everyone. Sally, like, Sally has the same yeah. need. She's like, I know exactly how you feel that. Um, I know exactly how you feel, Jack, but she can't get his attention because he's so focused on Christmas. Yeah. And but we everyone... don't know how long she's existed for because yeah. as soon as the scientist was like, Sally's a lost cause, he cre- he took half his brain and created a woman for himself. Yeah. And she's the, she's the only one throughout the entire movie from Halloween Town that's like, maybe this is not a great idea. Whereas literally everyone else is like, Jack, you're incredible. Let me yeah. use both of my mouths to suck your dick. Like it's exactly uh, it. Yeah. Like, and he's just like, all right, I'm, t- I'm tired of this. Like everyone. Okay. I, I see what you're saying. Like he, he just needed someone. He needed like an equal. He needed someone to talk to. Yeah. And he didn't have an equal because everyone praised him. He didn't have someone to challenge him, but yeah, Sally d- challenged him the whole time. She said, I had a terrible premonition. Shit's going to hit the fan. This is going to be bad. And she, he said, that's not my Christmas. My Christmas is beautiful. We're going to do it my way because he didn't have anybody that actually challenged him. This, that whole, She was the only one. Right. And then at the end he was like, Oh shit. 
that it's her. I should be with her. And yeah. that's how they ended up together at the end. And and let's be fair. I mean, I think that that was the correct door that he went into. Christmas was like he he did some damage, but St. Patrick's Day, I mean, that may have ruined the whole town. He just come back. Uh, just he comes wasted. Just, just bl- he's so drunk <laughs> all the time. He, he doesn't get it, but he's just drunk all the time. Or like if he, he just did goes Thanksgiving- into a Mardi Gras door, he's like, you're not going to fucking believe this guy's. Yeah, or like, or like, if he did Thanksgiving, like, what would they, would it? The they just have a dinner, and he like accidentally poisons the food. I don't yeah. know. He'd serve like terrified the Easter Bunny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he goes to Thanksgiving. He accidentally serves like we're eating Raven for Thanksgiving. But <laughs> if he if he had went into the same Valentine's Day door, he probably would have gotten to Sally faster. Maybe. Maybe. That's. I mean, they should they should have done sequels where he, where he goes into different holidays. Right. So let's go to uh, let's go to medals. Let's go to medals, Katie. Who do you have for bronze? My, my silver, even though she deserves your more, bronze. Oh, my bronze! My bronze went to Catherine O'Hara. She just is incredible. Enough said. I have I have I can't say enough praise for her. She's just so talented, and she's. I mean, everything she touches for me, everything she touches is gold. I just think she's incredible, and I. I did, she's the only act, actor in the movie that I actually gave a medal to and she's it's well-deserved. She's just so talented. All right, excellent. Derek, do you have a bronze? Yep, everything Katie said, I agree. Catherine O'Hara is my bronze. She deserves to be recognized for this movie. Uh, just for me, it was just such a shock that she was the one singing in this and the one doing the voice because I didn't I didn't hear Catherine O'Hara in there. And I when I did figure out it was her, I was like, wow, like she has a really cool, she has a really good range and she's much more than what she does in movies. And she already does a lot in movies. And she's usually she's kind of like the center of attention in a movie. She uh, she's not on the status of say somebody like um, uh, Madeline Kahn. Like she steals every scene that she's in, but Catherine O'Hara and Home Alone and Beetlejuice, like all of the yeah. scenes I remember are her. Um, so she's like that actress that people kind of forget about. And now, of course, she's even bigger than what she was before because she's in Shit's Creek and everybody loves that show. And she she's, you know, she's uh, on top of the world, you know, but she she's excellent in this and it really shows her range. She gets my bronze. Yeah. Uh, bronze all the way through. She's weirdly like between this and and Home Alone one and two, like the queen of Christmas for for like people our age. Like she is constantly present during this season. It's funny that you compared her to Madeline Kahn because I I often think of her, when I think of her, like if they had done um, Young Frankenstein, if she had done that, she would have hit that right on the head, you know. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I can totally see her and, and Madeline Kahn. Like, honestly, they're both incredible. So let's go to silver. Katie, who do you have? My silver, I, I tied Henry Selleck and Tim Burton together because they both made the movie. And without either one of them, we wouldn't have this movie. So I gave them both my silver. Yeah, I've got, I've got the same for, for, for my silver uh, as well, that same tie. Because it's just impossible really to know who to give the most credit to yeah who's responsible for what yeah and i think that they both men kind of disagree who should get the credit i think they're both like no it's mine no no it's mine this part is mine this is that like it it wouldn't exist as is without either one of them you know it's it's certainly a tim burton world but Selleck directed the hell out of it so uh, Mm -hmm. tie for me as well for silver derek what do you got 
you're scaring me both of you because I have the same one. Oh boy. Uh, and, and, and it's, it's one of those things where, um, I, I feel it's very Tim Burton-y and like, that's like an adjective now, uh, when something feels Tim Burton-y and it's not, um, you know, like, uh, when I first, you know, when you see, if, if you, if, you know, if you show somebody this movie and you show them Beetlejuice and then you show them like a trailer for Sweeney Todd, I think they're going to be like, this might be a Tim Burton movie without you, you telling me that he just has that flavor that a lot of directors don't have. It's just the costumes, the design, you can tell it's from his like world yet. Do we know if it's a lot of it's from him because Henry Selleck does a lot of the work. Henry Selleck did say he was like, Tim Burton was here for like nine days, nine days. He's like, he was off doing his own thing. I did the majority of everything. And I think it's going to be an ongoing battle forever between the two of them. Like who's responsible for this movie, but it's, it's just a, a bit of both, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah, you can feel it. You can feel Tim Burton, like in the atmosphere. I, I went to um, the Beetlejuice haunted house in October. And when you walk into it, it was just so just Tim Burtony, like yeah. everywhere you could just feel it in the air of just it and everything you just recognize, like you don't instantly think Michael Keaton, you instantly think Tim Burton. Yep. Right. So gold, I'm guessing we probably all have the same gold. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I went with Danny Elfman. Yep. Derek. Yeah. Danny Elfman. Yep. Same here. Same here. We have that. We all have the same medals. So <laughs> Let's talk. I wish the movie could have been longer because I think Danny Elfman could have had more fun. I think he had a really good time. I think he could have had even more fun if he had been given allotted more room for songs. Yeah. Like if the movie was a, if the movie was 90 minutes instead of 119, that's an extra 11 minutes. He could have fit two songs in there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the the music has such a specific flavor. And in a way, it it does kind of fit into that disney renaissance because it's like if you look at those movies for the most part it's like look at uh look at aladdin like aladdin is like big band music and a ballad and that's the type of music and this is all like weird organy music with accordions and then sally's song is a ballad and it, like it does fit in there, but in its own weird way. That and of course, Elfman does the like so many voices and like performs as Jack singing. So it's like to me, it's it's a no brainer. Yeah, and you know this is something that I've never done before. But when we did the recast, I actually recasted Danny Elfman's job in this movie. I okay. actually recasted somebody who would write the songs and perform the songs instead of Danny Elfman. Okay, so. So that should be fun. I've never done this before, so that'll be fun. Okay. I'm going to write down a name. I'm going to write down a name to see if I can guess who you picked. Okay. We're not going to have the same people for recasting, though. No. I was, I oh, was no, really no way. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I'll be surprised if either one of you know who my Jack is. So he's not like a household name, but he is to Broadway people. Okay. Yeah. Let's, so let's go to recasting. Here we are. So let's. So I had Jack, I had Sally, and I had Oogie Boogie. Let's see. I had Jack, Sally, the mayor, Oogie Boogie, evil scientist, and Santa. Okay. And I, the overall music guy. Yes. Yep. Yeah, exactly. All right, Katie. Who do you get? I I did. I just did Sally, Jack, the mayor, and Oogie Boogie. Okay. So. 
I was a little bit selfish when I did this. I thought about who I would want to hear if I was to watch this movie remade. And I'm kind of a metal chick. I like more metal music and darker music. So I went with mostly musicians. I did do one actor, but I went mostly musicians. I did all actors who have been in musicals. So so I've, I've, I've done that. So Derek, you had the most characters. So I think the ones that you had that nobody else had were this mad scientist and Santa can, and Santa and the mayor. Yeah, I don't know if and you the, had the mayor. Well, Katie, did you have the mayor? You had the mayor. Right, Katie? Yeah. I did okay. Jack, Sally, Oogie Boogie and the mayor. Okay. okay. Gotcha. So Derek, you had, so let's go. Who's your, who's your scientist? Do I know has a name that I completely forgot? Yeah. I, I wrote it down too somewhere and it's, 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 I forget what it is, but they only mention it once and it's one like, I forget when it is, but it's when um, when when Jack walks in is like Doctor So and So. Okay, okay, yeah. Um, so I picked uh, for the evil scientist Christopher Lloyd. Um, I just want to hear Christopher Lloyd's voice, like I Uncle Fester, like he's so he's just so animated. I love everything he does. He'd just be perfect for me. So he's my evil scientist. Uh, really who's your Santa, Derek? My Santa is actually going to be Brian Cox. Uh, lead, lead, uh, you know, big, big, uh, star in succession right now on HBO. Good show. Watch it if you haven't. Um, so those are the two that I have extra. Okay. So Katie, who do you have for the mayor? I went with, um, Ivan Moody, who's the lead singer of five finger death punch because he has an extremely distinct voice. And I, the way that he goes from one persona and then his head turns around and he's a different persona. I think that he could pull that off, even though he's not an actor. Well, I gotta say, I'm not familiar with his work, but you know, maybe maybe other people are. Derek, who is your mayor? I went with a very talented actor and voice actor, and that is Hank Azaria. I think he can do anything, and I just I just got off watching The Birdcage, so he's just so funny in that. I think he can do anything. Uh, so he's my mayor. So let's go. So I think we just have Jack, Sally, and Oogie Boogie left. Yep. So let's go with Oogie Boogie. Katie, who do you have? I went with Jamie Fox. I thought that he would have. Yeah, I could see it. You can see it, right? I, yeah. I thought that he would really be able to bring it out because he has deep tones, but he can go a high pitch too. And I thought that he would be able to really have fun with that with that role. All right. Yeah, no, I could definitely see that. Derek. If I knew the actor's name and I, if I knew if he was still alive, I would have considered him. But I, the first thing I said when I was telling G about my recast, I was like, the guy who plays the plant in uh, and um, <laughs> Seymour, 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 feed me. But uh, I actually went with David Keith, and he David does Keith, what a voice, yeah, yeah. He does the villain in The Princess and the Frog, and he's fantastic. And just to make sure, I I looked, I went on YouTube, and I was like, David Keith singing, and you it's mean just Keith a, David. Uh, Keith David, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I wrote it. I wrote it down wrong. I knew it was. Yeah. Kind of, it sounded weird to me. Keith David, um, I found a YouTube video of him on a yacht, just singing for his friends, and he's so good. Um, so he's a guy. I'm like, yep, he's my good boogie. So all right, so I went with a guy who uh, name his name. You're probably not gonna know his uh, his name is O. Uh, it's difficult to pronounce. It's uh, Okerite Onaudawan, I believe is pronounced. If you've seen Hamilton on Disney Plus or I guess the play, he plays Hercules Mulligan. He comes out and he's he's got like the deep voice. Yeah, for a big fan of Broadway, I have yet to see I have yet to see Hamilton. So it's you know we'll we'll get I'll get to it. Yeah, he's he's a stage actor. 
He's got a very deep voice. He's very fun and sort of flamboyant and in a lot of ways, very animated. So I think he, he would do a great job. Excellent. Let's go to Sally. So Katie, who is your Sally? So for Sally, first I, I picked Billie Eilish, but then when I was watching the YouTube videos, I found her and what, a, what an amazing job she did. But I went with Halsey and I thought that she would have the range for it. And she can also kind of, she can express a lot of emotion in her voice. And I think that she would be able to, to play Sally really well. I also didn't want to pick a real a powerful female voice. I needed something a little bit more vulnerable. And I thought that Halsey would really be able to do it successfully. All right, Derek, who's your you make, you make a good point about that. Like the, the, you know, the, the singer has to have that essence to them, you know? Yeah. I yeah, think if you just, yeah, you know, like, like, like for instance, like if somebody who sings like Aretha Franklin probably shouldn't be in this role, right. but somebody right. who, somebody who's vulnerable. So that's actually really good. Yeah, because um, I was thinking about like Miley Cyrus and like Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. Like their voices are so strong and they're such strong, just strong women that they wouldn't be able to exp- I don't think that they would be able to successfully express like the vulnerability that Sally has to have. I mean, that woman threw herself out a window to bring him fish bones, you know? Right. Like, it has to be a woman that's willing to go to the ends of the earth, but also somebody that she needs a man and sally does sally wants to be with jack right and now actually now that i'm thinking about it i i don't know if i want to switch my my answer but i i actually went with for me i went with amy adams proven proven great singer proven great actress i think she could bring out the emotion but now i'm thinking about um i can't think of her name right now and i can't believe it she's the one who plays um what's her face in lame is in hathaway in hathaway yeah i mean in that scene alone where she sings you know the famous song she's 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 got the emotion you know, but I think I'm sticking with my guns with Amy Adams. Yeah, I like I like Amy Adams in that role, and she's 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 a redhead, uh, so uh, but she's a very high. She's a, yeah. she can go. She can sing very high. Yes, uh, as so, shown in in the Muppets movie and everything she's been in. Yes, Enchanted. Yeah, yep. Uh, it's, it's it's a great pick. Uh, I went with someone who their first sort of breakout role was in a musical, uh, but she's sort of more famous now for being on a, like a long running TV series. And um, that's Emmy Rossum who you want to talk vulnerable musical characters. She played Christine in the Phantom of the Opera musical uh, movie mm-hmm. version. And she went on to be in shameless and stuff like that. And she's a great actor. She does have that like very high pitched, like she was an opera singer. So she does have that high pitched voice. And I think she could do the, uh, do the, the, do the songs, how they're meant to be done. So let's go to Jack. Let's go to Jack. This is a big one. Katie, who do you have? Who is your Jack Skellington? So this is like um, where my kind of selfishness came out. Who would I want to hear play Jack? And I picked Corey Taylor, who's the lead singer of Slipknot. And I felt that he would be able to do it because he has a very melodic voice, but he can get really vicious in his voice and strong. And so because he can do that, I thought when he sings... um, I think when he when he does the face to the three trick or treaters and he screams, he, I think that he would be able to do both sides of Jack. So that's who I picked, Corey Taylor from Slipknot. And I would love to start like a conversation on Facebook about this and hear who everybody else would want to do because I I'm all ears. I would love to like mentally picture Definitely. or audically picture who could really nail that for musicians I, or actors. I or, looked at 
probably every fucking tall, lanky actor in Hollywood uh, to, to play Jack Skellington. Do we uh, know if this was ever like actually a Broadway show at some point? Yes, it was. Okay, it was. Yeah, yeah I would say it definitely should be because it's, it's one of those types to be a lot of fun to see live. Yeah, I'm surprised it has because it hasn't been like a big. I'm sure it's been a play. I'm sure it's been adapted, but I don't think it's been like a Broadway show. Right, right, right. I get you. Yeah, which which surprises me because I feel like it would be perfect. You could you could run that every year between October and and, and January. Yeah, know, like, this have to it, it, like I said at least at least off Broadway. It had yeah. to be a show. Yeah, Do you, like all the fucking like former goths in their 30s and 40s would like line up literally around fucking Times Square. To, you know, to this, this could literally be like on the level of like Rocky Horror. Like if it, if they made it into a thing where like you, you know, you have quirky things that you bring when you come to the show, you know? Yeah, yeah I can see it. Definitely. So Derek, who is your Jack? So I'm a big Broadway fan and there's a Broadway star who I love. And a lot of people know him now for like Law and Order SVU. And he was in the Hannibal show. Um, Raul Esparza is unbelievable he has one of the widest ranges I've ever seen in anybody and uh, he can he can sing uh, anything and then he can also scream and yell and make his voice really animated sounding he's just he's done everything on Broadway every role he's ever wanted he's gotten Um, he's like the new Manny Patinkin he's like Raul Esparza like the new Manny Patinkin he's like taking all of his roles now because Manny Patinkin's too old to do Broadway um but yeah, Raul is my is my choice. And if, if people who are listening don't know who he is, get a copy or go on YouTube and, and watch Company, the Stephen Sondheim Broadway show. Rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim. He just passed. Um, Raul Spars is unbelievable in that. Yeah, so I my Jack is a guy who he's got a very big role in his career that I think when people hear his name, they just think of this role. But he's a very talented actor. He's been doing stuff since he stopped doing that role. Uh, and he was just in a musical that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And that is Andrew Garfield. No, is, I actually didn't know he could sing. He is playing there on Netflix. There was just, they released a movie about, he plays Jonathan Larson, the guy who wrote rent. Okay. It's yep. a musical. So that was, that was the one where I was like, cause you know, everything was like fucking Chalamet is like, it's like a walking Tim Burton guy. Like he's just like if you plucked a Tim Burton character and put him in the real world, that's he looked at Timothy Chalamet. So I was like, I can't do it. It's too obvious. But I also think he's too young for it. So I wanted to go a little older. And Andrew Garfield's like 37. You know what I'm kind of surprised at? And again, this this is definitely a cliche response, but I'm a little surprised nobody. I mean, I'm sure people would say this, but Johnny Depp is like um uh, he's such a Burton guy. But I was thinking about his years ago. 20 yeah, years ago. Well, I mean, even like, you know, he did Sweeney Todd, and I think it was a shock that he could pull off Sondheim, and people yeah. were like, whoa, you know, and then of course he did Sweeney Todd and then he did Into the Woods, and he's like, is Johnny Depp just a Sondheim guy now? Yeah. But um, I, I'm not sure if he would work as Jack, but I'm sure some people would be like, no, it has to be because he's a Burton guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he already did The Corpse Bride, though. That's true. Yeah. He did something very similar. Yeah. I think that the, I think he brings a different energy right now. Like, you know, t- 10 to 20 years ago, that Johnny Depp, definitely. But yep. right right now, he's just like, Before he brings Amber a lot of baggage him. with him. <laughs> yeah, well, she broke him. Does Johnny Depp have a, a, a did, he, did he create an English accent for himself? I feel like he walks around with an English accent now. I don't know. I like because like you got to think about like in, in when he's Jack Sparrow, he's got that like, I'm English, but I'm not. 
Right. I'm Sweeney Todd, but I use this voice. So, like, he does that in every movie now, and I'm wondering if he just walks around the house with that voice. <laughs> it's a different English like accent, though, because like Sweeney it is. Todd is totally different than the Corpse Bride. Right, right. So I think with Johnny Depp, I think he, like I said, he brings a certain energy. He's always going to like tweak something. Whereas like the the cool thing about Jack is that he's essentially like a straight man in a lot of ways. Like he's very like, it'd be weird to be like, Jack has an accent. Jack has a weird thing because he's so straightforward in everything he does. Yep. Whereas Johnny Depp would be like, let me turn it sideways a little bit. Right, right. You now, know? Rick, can you can you guess who I chose to replace Danny Elfman as the the songwriter? And can you read it? Uh, Lin Manuel no. Miranda. No. No. Okay. Who do you got? No, I, I like him. I think that he's. Yep. If it wasn't for Hamilton, he nobody would know his name. But I I but think the, he wrote Moana. Yeah. All right, go, go, go. I like him. Actually, him and Raul Esparza do a lot of things together, and it's a lot of fun. I actually went with Tom Waits. Interesting. Tom Waits is uh, the guy who I think would make it like, he'd probably make it a little stranger than Danny Elfman, because Tom Waits is, if anybody who knows his music, it's like blues and circus music combined. (laughs) I can't explain it. It's very odd, but I feel like Tom Waits should have been a part of this film somehow. Absolutely. So, uh, that would be that would be very interesting. So so let us know who you think. We'll put it out on YouTube. We'll or, uh, me, we'll put it on social media, and we'll uh, we'll talk about our recasting here. So let's go to uh, to miscellaneous. Does anyone have any miscellaneous things that we haven't covered? I used all of mine already. I used okay. the Tim Tim Burton wasn't on set much. Evil scientist was supposed to be Oogie Boogie in disguise for some reason. And then I got all these toys for Christmas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Katie, do you have anything else that we have not talked about with this movie that you wanna you wanna throw in there? No, as I mean it's become a cult classic. It has so much just merch and it still has attention, even though it's what almost 30 years old. I mean, there's still stuff for it at the Disney stores. There's still a lot of, you know, you see advertisement for it still. And um, yeah. I just think it's going to stay a Christmas movie and a love story. Katie, I'm assuming, um, I'm assuming you at some point had a, have a, like a DVD or a deluxe version of this movie. It seems like it's one of your favorites. Is that right? Oh yeah. I have the clothes. I have the, yeah. Okay. Cause well, cause I was watching it and I have a tendency to like watch a bad version of a movie cause it has too many commercials or it has this, does it have a scene during the credits or after the credits? Cause I, I wasn't sure. And I was reading the trivia and it said something like, yeah, there was a scene where Santa comes back and he visits Jack and he has five kids and they're all skeleton kids. And I was like, Oh, I didn't see that no, scene. So I was wondering I if it was just cut or something. That, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. I don't think so. I never saw that scene. Okay. Gotcha. It might've just been in the screenplay then. So I've got, I've got a couple, well, I've got one. And then there's the the question we're here to answer. But the first thing I've got is it's weird to me, right? That this is Disney's really their only animated Christmas movie. You know, it's, it's, is it, it feels like to me, Disney has like, is Beauty and the Beast not like Christmassy? No, there's like one scene where it takes place in the snow. There's like a direct to DVD sequel, I think. That's oh, Christmas. that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, but yeah, there, there's no like the only like Christmas properties that they have are this, which is like 
there's some question as to whether or not it's even a Christmas movie. The Santa Claus and Home Alone, which they just bought because they well, bought Fox. What about um what about like a Mickey Mouse Christmas Carol? Yeah, they have that, but that's like 25 minutes long. Oh, okay. It's really like they don't have this is their only feature length Christmas movie. And it was like barely a hit. It was released like October 30th in theaters. Because again, they just have no idea what to do with it. It's actually, it's like, it's late for Halloween and it's early for Christmas. Yeah. Looking back, it would have been smarter to do earlier October. People can, people could be like, oh, this is a movie I can watch and get prepared for Christmas, I guess. But I don't know. Yeah. Because usually like Christmas movies, you're looking at like middle of November, Thanksgiving, like, you know, um, it's the um, West Side Story. Spielberg's West Side Story was just released this week. Flopped flop unfortunately which i, I don't I, I don't think it has anything to do with the movie i think people no. just don't really either know about that it's out or people don't go to the movies as much like, so it's a think, marvel movie i think older people are not going to the movies yet i think that because the movies that have really flopped have been like the only successful movie since theaters really have opened that's been aimed at adults is dune and that even that has appealed to younger people Right. Like the for the next year or two, I think the big hits are going to be Marvel, Marvel movies. They're going to be big, fun adventure movies because like, let's let me just look up like top grossing movies of this year. Yeah. So here the top grossing movies of 2021, Shang-Chi, Marvel, Venom, Marvel, although not MCU, Black Widow, Marvel, Fast and Furious 9. Eternals, No Time to Die, A Quiet Place Part 2, Free Guy, Jungle Cruise, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Did you say that Venom is not part of the MCU? Um, so I'll edit. So yes and no. So I've not seen it, but to my understanding, there is a post-credit scene that in this most recent one that connects it to Tom Holland Spider-Man. Okay. But it does not take place in the MCU. Okay, gotcha. I haven't seen any of that, so I was wondering. Yeah, but it's I mean that is it's under Spider-Man. So anything so it's it's a Sony movie. It's not a Disney movie. So it's not technically in the MCU. It's it's okay. a very fluid situation. Let's let's say that. I mean, I don't know why they just didn't make a Topher Grace Venom trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's that'd be an interesting if we do like a themed month of like movies that disappointed us. Or the scene where he's begging to God to kill Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, well, that's like that's an, that's an interesting conversation because they forced that character on Sam Raimi. Sam yeah. Raimi just wanted like classic like 60s Spider-Man villains that he grew yeah. up with. And they were like, how about Venom from the 90s? And he was like, I don't get it. I like wasn't there, it wasn't there, th- there was like three villains in that movie. It was like Sandman, yeah. Venom, and Green Goblin. It was like too much. Yeah. He was like, I want Sandman. I want, yeah, we'll we'll pay off the the Green Goblin story in this. And they were like, what if we put Venom in there as well? And he was like, I don't know. And he was like, Great, Venom. <laughs> and then and they were like, don't worry, you can do your own thing in the fourth one. And then it fucking flopped. And they were like, no fourth one for you, Sam Raimi. Right. 
But that's an interesting what if, because Spider-Man, Raimi's Spider-Man 4 was going to be supposedly John Malkovich as the Vulture. Okay. And Anne Hathaway was going to be in it as the Vulture's mm-hmm. daughter. Ah. So that would mean she probably wouldn't have been Catwoman. Yeah, I still don't know how I feel about her Catwoman, but we'll get to that at some point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So let's, uh, let's go to the Oscars here. So this is, a, this is a year that we've covered a couple of times before in our very first episode, Jurassic Park, and in our Sandlot episode. The Sandlot did not make any, any Oscars, so we're mostly talking about uh, Jurassic Park here and the changes we made there. So let's, uh, let's talk about the Oscars that took place in 1994 for movies from 93. Uh, it is one, Best Picture is won by Schindler's List, the other nominees are The Fugitive, In the Name of the Father, The Piano, and in real life it was The Remains of the Day, but we replaced that with Jurassic Park. Ah, uh, come on. No, no, no Bronx Tale. Come on. Come on. So we're looking. Do we want to put in Nightmare Before Christmas as best picture? You know what? Roger Rabbit fucking got it in 88. I think I think I think this should this, this deserves this a spot a too. This is a much stronger year than 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 that year. Uh, agreed, I, I, agreed. And I should mention it did get one nomination and that was for best visual effects where it lost to Jurassic Park. Well, I mean, yeah, how can you compete? But yeah. I don't know. Not not yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. I'm like, does it is it best picture quality? I mean, it's it's definitely cool. But I mean, the, I've never seen The Fugitive in the name of the father. I've never seen. Um, I'm OK with it not being nominated just because it's a cult classic. And that's just a category of its own at this point. Sure. Of movies that are too cool to be nominated. <laughs> yeah, I did just compile a few movies, a few animated movies that came out this year. In what I think probably would have been the the nominees for if if the best animated feature category existed what probably would have been nominated and there's only like there's only like three i was expecting to be because like you think back like early 90s huge for animated movies and this kind of just wasn't like it was just a soft year basically because again we're like right in the midst of yeah, the Disney Renaissance, but this is the only movie they had come out and it was not a huge hit at the time. So like the three movies I think would have been nominated for best animated feature are this, uh, Batman Mask of the Fan- Phantasm, which is excellent, and We're Back, which is like- Oh, a, that's the dinosaur movie. Yeah, dinosaurs are like brought back movie. to life. So that, I, and I think those would have just been the three nominees. Yeah, unless, because I don't think they were going to be going like a- nominating like anime movies. So- that was a good movie, but this one was better. Nightmare is better. So Batman Mask of the Phantasm is excellent. It's really, really good. And it's, I think it's the best Batman movie not directed by Christopher Nolan. But I mean, this is just such a technical achievement that I would I would say. And it's got and it's got the like the Disney push, so I think it would have won. So I'm gonna say because the Best animated feature Oscar did not exist until 2001 or 2002, I guess, because the first winner was Shrek. This probably would have been a, a winner there. But let's uh, let's talk about the other major categories. Uh, best director is won by Steven Spielberg, of course, for 
uh, for Schindler's List. The other nominees were Jim Sheridan for In the Name of the Father, James Ivory for The Remains of the Day, Robert Altman for Shortcuts, and it was Jane Campion for The Piano, but we replaced her, and I think maybe the only time we'll do this, uh, we double dip Spielberg because he should be in for Jurassic Park as well. Yeah, that's what I was, I was going to say that. I was like, wait a minute, didn't he do yeah. both that year? Yeah. Yeah. So, Selleck, again, it's very impressive what he did, but we can't know how much he did versus Burton. Right. You know? Yeah, I'm fine with him being off. Yeah. You know, not, not nominated. Any actors we want, to, we want to talk about in this for acting categories? Not really, because you really can't. I mean, Chris Sarandon, Danny Elfman. What, what's what's the big performance there? Is it the singing? It'd, be, it'd probably be Elfman. But again, like what role? You, you can't just nominate him for like half of Jack. And, and Danny Elfman's voice is like very oh. theatrical and fun. I'm just shocked he didn't just voice him. How about here's a category that I think is worth talking about with this movie. Best original song. Hmm. Which so, one would it be, though? What's this? I think what's this? What's this? Yeah. So the winner, I can't argue with too much. It's Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. The, there's a song called Again from Poetic Justice by Janet Jackson. Yeah, song, that was a good one too. Uh, The Day I Fall in Love. Music and lyrics by Carol Bayer Sager. James Ingram and Cliff Magnus. That is from, of course, the cinematic classic Beethoven Second. Uh, another song from Philadelphia. This one just Philadelphia from Neil Young. And A Wink and a Smile from Sleepless in Seattle. Is it Harry Connick Jr. who sings that one? I don't. It's credited music by Mark Shaman and okay. lyrics by Ramsey McLean. Okay. Yeah, I think it's one of those like uh, every jazz singer sings that. Okay. <laughs> At least once in their career. So. Okay, so, I mean, I think what's this should be there. I, it, like some, this movie should be represented in, in best song. So we can kick out the Neil Young song or we can click out or kick out the, uh, we can kick out the song from Beethoven second. When you say Beethoven second, you're the talking about Saint like- St. Bernard. Like that movie, okay. Yeah. Okay. The sequel to Beethoven, the movie about a giant dog. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Just get rid of that one. Yeah. <laughs> You're thinking there's a movie about Beethoven. No. Oh, there's a movie yeah. about a dog named Beethoven. <laughs> I was thinking like something like on the, on the, the lines of like Amadeus. And I'm like, wait a minute. This no. sounds like the one about the dog. <laughs> no. There's a one about the dog. A song. For, it's not even the original. It's the sequel. The sequel. But yes. Wow. That's like if like Airbud 2 had and a guess, song. Guess who they're talking about falling in love? The dog. Oh boy! A song I don't about want, dogs falling in love. I don't even want to know. <laughs> Sometimes the '90s, I want to punch in the face and then also hug. <laughs> All right, so I think that is going to do it for the Oscars. Derek, what are you eating with this movie? What am I eating with this movie? Uh, you gotta, you gotta go Halloween candy, right? Oh, actually, I'm sorry. Let's rewind. The question we're here to answer: Is this a Christmas movie, or is this a Halloween movie? It's both. One or the other. What is it? it it's both. Why do you got to choose? Why can't it just be both? Because that, that's why we're here. We got we to choose. I think it's a Christmas movie. <clears throat> only because there's a message and it's the whole thing is about recreating his own version of Christmas. 
Yes, I'm going to I'm going to say it is a Christmas movie over a Halloween movie. Because the lesson they learn about being together is a Christmas lesson. Halloween is like fun, spooky, fun to be scared, which is in this movie, certainly for the first like five to 10 minutes. But I think after that, it's Christmas. Uh, I don't know. Henry Selleck's is Halloween. I'm in the middle. I kind of feel like it's it's Halloween. That's the spirit of the movie for me is Halloween. It's it's that. And then Christmas is kind of like, what is this thing? You know, and it's I don't know if they find the true meaning of it. Santa just saves the day. All right. So let's we'll, we'll post it to social media. We're, we'll, we'll talk about it. Hopefully we get some uh, some uh, some traction on that. Get some uh, discussion on that. So you're but you're sticking. I mean, I think you're, you're leaning towards Halloween because you first, you know, your thing was like. I'm eating Halloween candy with this. Yeah, Halloween candy. And also, like, the memories I have of, like, sitting on my bed playing with the action figures. I wasn't like, this is a great Christmas thing that I'm doing. It was like, it felt Halloween-y, you know? But, I mean, I don't know. It's tough. I, I think that I'd rather eat Halloween candy watching this than, like, I don't know, like, eggnog. Sure. I mean, I mean, I, I feel like I'm eating, like, this is, uh, I mean, I eat candy on Christmas. Like, I, like, I wouldn't hate, like, a candy cane during this mm. you know or like i don't know because i feel like i eat candy around christmas as well i mean you know what i'm eating i'm eating a, a reese's cup in the shape of a christmas tree okay like that's that's it. fair you know I, I don't know if i ever, ever brought this up on the show before but back in the day i was in new hampshire and i was at a cabin and um it was like my neighbors and they bought hostess cupcakes but they were like monsters hostess cupcakes and they were like it it had an orange top with like sprinkles on it and it was like green like frosting in the middle or whatever green cream it was like the coolest tastiest thing in the world and i just think that would have been cool to see like a nightmare before christmas hostess cupcake with like the monster like was it like there's some kind of revival of the monsters i don't know i will send you a picture of it so you can just see the the, the box when when was this this might have been like early to mid 90s the debut on Nick at Night, maybe? I don't know. Oh, it might have been a Nick at Night thing. Remember, it was like the summer, the, the summer of like, it was like Monkey Monday, Lucy yeah. Tuesday. I think it was like Monsters Friday or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. Mary Tyler Moore Wednesdays. Yeah. 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 No, it was Bewitched Be Wednesday is what they called it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and that summer, my mom, she won tickets to see this singer gene pitney she meant to get tickets to see the monkeys she, she called the wrong thing and we we she called this italian family who won the monkeys tickets and she's like do you think we can get your monkeys tickets we'll give you our gene pitney tickets and he was like that's so funny i want to see gene pitney so we <laughs> traded tickets <laughs> and it was all because of this like that like nick at night thing that summer it was like the summer of 97 and we saw the monkeys oh my god all right. Anyway, I digress. Well, now we come to the most important part of the show, and that is when we put 30 seconds on the clock, and Derek explains to us why <clears throat> Nightmare Before Christmas is the greatest movie of all time. Derek, are you ready? Let's do it. Three, two, one, go. So The Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selleck, created by Tim Burton, 1993. I think this is a very clever, well-animated little film. It's definitely a cult classic. 
Um, it, it reaches that status with wonderful voice acting, excellent music, and an enjoyable and digestible story. I think Burton and Selick hit a home run. That's that. All right, 22 seconds. Do you want to insult anybody in your remaining five seconds? Um, no, I want to tell all the little gothic kids in middle time. school. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, I, you know, it, this movie is definitely like a catalyst for that. You know, I really want to just keep reiterating that because like, I, I think that if I had seen it, you know, fully all the way through, I probably would have been like, yeah, that this is my jam. I'm putting black lipstick on. Um, and we would not I, be friends because you would have in video production and be like, who's this fucking guy? Really? Okay, so you, you judge people by the you judge people by their lipstick. In color. high school, okay. I sure did. Okay, <laughs> Rick, we need to have a full episode of just us talking about the films we made in high school together. Yes, we should. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had the video. Uh, yeah. So that has been our episode on the Nightmare Before Christmas. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you figured out whether or not this is a Christmas movie or a Halloween movie, or neither. Somehow, if you've decided that, or if you think it's somehow an Easter movie, because the Easter Bunny's in it for a second, let us know um, on social media. Let us know uh, where, however you can, email, whatever you want to do. Uh, I just want to thank you so much for listening. Next week, we're going to round out our Christmas season with Christmas Vacation with Gia back on the show, Derek's wife, Gia. That's going to be a super fun episode. And then we end the year with Forrest Gump. Wow. Huge. Gonna be interesting to it's say the least. Huge. 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 And then we get some great stuff planned for next year so far. Can't wait for that. Uh, so, Katie, I do want to thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thanks for having me. Happy to I have look you. I forward to seeing everybody's comments on Facebook so we can start this conversation about what, what, um, nightmare before christmas means to you i want to hear that and i want to hear what musicians you would replace the characters with i think that we really could do something do some damage talking about this so let's let's talk about it i'm sorry yes. derek just sent me the picture of the monsters <laughs> <laughs> the oh, monsters hostess Mon i can't i don't know if it's going to come up can you see i it? told you it's got an orange top it's oh maybe yeah, it's why it came with a mask a grandpa Munster mask. We're gonna put a, we're gonna put a picture of this on our socials. Hold on. Oh, that's awesome. I just spend my time oh, looking at delicious. they were. I just spend my most of my time just looking up old 90s like <laughs> kid cuisines and stuff. I I found a kid cuisine, it was like Shrek, and it was like you can every kid cuisine had like a little dessert too. And this one was like green slime pudding from Shrek, and it looked disgusting. Well, I'll tell you what I'm eating while watching uh, while watching Nightmare Before Christmas now. Monsters Monsters. Yeah, they were like sh Shrek shaped nuggets. That's what I want to eat. Shrek shaped yeah. anything. They were chicken. <laughs> they were chicken. It was like chicken nuggets, like corn, and then like this green slop for pudding. I used to, I used to get the kids' cuisine with Bugs Bunny on it because in my my child head, I was like, oh, the carrots must be delicious. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's what kids want carrots <laughs> i mean it worked on me because like oh he's a rabbit the fucking carrots are gonna be great <laughs> oh my god <laughs> anyway i've been your beloved co-host the one the only the pumpkin king rick barrasso and i have been your most hated co-host 
the nightmare before Boski. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had Katie on the show. So <laughs> thank you so much for watching. And uh, keep watching those movies, everyone. Goodbye. Bye, guys.